everyone, and welcome back to Sarah's Space. Again, it's Sarah's Space sans Alyssa. Uh, we are still going to have to have a solo time period as Alyssa is still embroiled in, oh, probably far too many activities, <laughs> but, but she is happy and sound in health and mind, and that is what is important. Meanwhile, I am also happy uh, not always sound in health and mind, but I'm trying my best. And I am again coming to you on my own. And tonight I was thinking what I would like to talk about sort of comprises a couple of issues that have come up in conversations with students of all ages, but most recently with uh, my pre-professional, semi-professional groups. And they are in regards to two major things. One of them would be social media, of which, well, all of you are well aware of because you're probably getting a hold of my podcast via my Facebook page. <laughs> and that's how you know about it in the first place. And also the other issue is, uh, I guess, how we present ourselves and how we set ourselves forward and how to make that apparent to others without necessarily needing or using so social media in the respect that it's touted to be used for. That was a complicated sentence, but hopefully it makes sense. I'm going to start with uh, a subject close to my heart and one that is definitely tongue-in-cheek at times and humorous, although I I am quite serious about it, and students all around are going to be rolling their eyes and shaking their heads at me if they get a chance to listen, because I'm going to talk about the word like. Yes, that simple four-letter word, L-I-K-E, and how it is now taking over the English language. In fact, I believe there is a dictionary of colloquialisms and current modern language, and I believe it has been inserted in there. Oh, horrors. I, I cannot, I cannot believe it. But there we are. So let me talk about this. So like is used properly in context of being a simile, such as like or as you look like a friend of mine. Your hair is like a sunset. Or in this, in the case of saying, I really like you, or I like ice cream, or I like doing these podcasts. It is not meant to be inserted in every third breath instead of just breathing or pausing, such as this is like so much fun to like sit here and talk about this. Like I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of like at a loss for words. Hee <laughs> hee. So yeah, it's actually hard for me to do that. <laughs> and every time I do, I know that uh, I get quite a few uh, shocked and amazed faces and usually laughter from people that know me well. So I think what I will do is focus in on what's my issue with the misuse and overuse of this word. Okay, issue number one. When I was approximately 13, uh, a movie came out called The Valley Girls, and the lead character no idea who the actress was. I think this was a sort of flash in the pan type movie that would have been at the beginning of the 80s, which were kind of all about Silicon Valley in the United States and how computers were being invented and this whole community and entire town and let's face it, society popped up out of that that was made up of 
quickly wealthy families and uh, teenagers that were looking for an identity and they're all shoved together and high schools were built, et cetera, et cetera. A comedy movie was made out of it called Valley Girls. And they all spoke like this. Like, that's so totally awesome. I like, like, that is like totally awesome. I'm not exaggerating. It was extremely painful for me to listen to. And ironically, I had a, a, a friend, a, an acquaintance, a schoolmate at the time, who was quite taken with that um, image. And she perpetuated it day in and day out. Not that we were close friends and had to spend too much time side by side, but let's just say it rang through the hallways of our wee little junior high school of approximately, I guess it was about 400 kids. And uh, I was pretty sick of it <laughs> by the time that uh, phase or trend or fad uh, ended, which was about two years later. It was short-lived. It, it really... It caught on in media and in a couple of movies, perhaps a TV show, the expression was brought in. But, and I, I say this sort of bluntly, but I mean it kindly, people just generally didn't really love it because the, the Valley girls themselves in the movie represented themselves as uh, possessing rather low intellectual capacity and not desiring a higher intellectual capacity and it's essentially constantly dumbing down and acting as though they didn't understand anything because they thought it looked really cute or sexy, I guess would have been maybe the word then. And every fiber of my being screamed out in protest to that image, to that perpetuation of that image and to the sound of it and everything about it. So away went the word like, plus the word totally and totally awesome together. And we went into, I guess the next sort of word trend would have been goes. And goes was used in place of said, he said, she said. So he goes and then she goes and then he went and she went. And I tried it out because I thought, you know what, why don't I just maybe stop being so anal about English vocabulary and grammar and fit in with my fellow peers. I brought it home and my mom in a sweet, and now I actually find it quite comical, quiet way, just said several times and one day, because I, I just, I brought it home once. <laughs> she said, oh, where'd they go? Where'd he go? Where, where are they going? Just enough times to fully annoy and irritate me, not enough times to make it truly mean-spirited, but just to sort of prove a point that I was using a word that was a totally different meaning. And ironically, the word said and the word goes are both four letters long. So why replace one with the other? <laughs> I, I think that really stuck with me. And ever since that day, so back at the ripe old age of 14, I became probably hyper aware of the way I spoke and how I presented myself verbally and also the way of how other people spoke and how they presented themselves verbally. And I found it interesting 
how people tended to speak in a like-minded way. So like their friends, if their friends all possess the same colloquialisms or expressions or manner of swearing or sometimes manners of saying um or hesitations, quite often that group of us or a small group of people would all possess a similar quality to their speech. But I don't think I have ever been so truthfully blown away by the the it's like a rash it's it's a fever that has taken over society with this word like i can't exactly remember the first time it started to prevail but i feel as though that may have been i think it's almost 12 years now i feel let's see yeah i'm thinking 12 to 15 years i've been hearing it it's become more and more prevalent. It is now quite ironic and comical in a dark way to hear teachers of all walks of teaching professions in the dance world, outside the dance world, in the sometimes the English classroom, sometimes in French immersion, sometimes in different subjects. They tend to notice it perhaps fairly regularly on their students. Perhaps they make a conscious choice not to overcorrect, and then they use it themselves. I am also finding it more and more amongst parents of teens. Perhaps at one point they attempted to correct and then felt like they were just nagging and that it was falling on deaf ears or perhaps causing uh, unnecessary grievances between the two of them. So they just dropped it and then they adopted it. And now I feel like it's kind of taking over and, and it's, it's becoming a bit of a, it's literally becoming unconscious. I watch especially the age group of 10, let me see. No, I'm going to say around 9 to 13, say so many things in such a short time period. And there are so many likes in that sentence or three sentences that it's hard to make sense out of what they were actually saying in the first place. Because like has replaced um, it has replaced uh, it has replaced silence, it has replaced and, uh, it has replaced speaking from first person in the sense of I feel as though, or I feel like, or I. (laughs) So let's just say, because I am constantly in conversation and communication with young people, uh, quite often with their parents, and and of course I'm out in society, it, it amazes me how many times in a day I can hear it. My desire to maintain my own sense of self, my desire to maintain my own sense of what I like to hear myself say, my desire to also maintain my own sense of who I am as a teacher, which is a teacher who encourages, uh, builds up, empowers, and challenges, but challenges is in a challenges in a way that I would describe as I know that you can do this and it might be really frustrating or tricky. I am not giving you any timeline or deadline and I'm not judging you in the process that it you will undergo to do this, but I'm just letting you know this is 
what I would like you to think about. And like, using like in my studio space or around me in conversation is something that I bring up constantly. All of my regular students are aware of it. It usually causes great hilarity and uh, self, I guess, a self-awareness and possibly embarrassment maybe, but it's hopefully embarrassment always in good fun because I make sure that no one else is attacking their peers. You did this like, and you did this like, because that would be gross hypocrisy. And also I am not, I'm not bringing it up or bringing it to anyone's attention to make them feel bad. It's just an awareness thing. I feel as though many people aren't even remotely cognizant of how often they use it in speech. And many, many of my students have mentioned to me how they had no idea how it sounded until they were in line behind someone who was conversing with someone else using it every third word. Or, well, radio stations, all of the popular radio stations, the announcers, DJs are using it every second, third word. And I feel I'm going to throw this out here. It's not a gauntlet, but it is a comment, possibly a thought or observation, I feel as though it's one of those things about fitting in. I feel as why rock the boat? Why why make a big deal about it? Who's it hurting? It's just a word. And, you know, my genuine feeling is, is if that is how you feel deep down, and it is something maybe even that you love about the way you speak, and we don't have to speak together on a regular basis, then it's 100% your business. I don't obviously go around correcting people in day-to-day societal interchanges. That would be, well, frankly, wacko and, and not very productive. I don't correct parents of students that discuss with me. I don't, I, I can't even remember a time that I have corrected a peer, a friend, a fellow employee, sometimes my employers that are, you know, in in my peer group, because usually they all know that about me. They've either, they either have a child that I teach or else they see me interact with my own child who blessedly does not use the word like improperly. At home, I've just said, pardon? You know, the one or two times that she used it unconsciously when it sort of was first, I would say, first a thought in her mind when she first started spending more time with children that were from groups of people that were with around, were around each other a great deal during the day. So regularly schooled children, but also it's, it's rife in the homeschool community. It's certainly not isolated. It's basically one of those things that all it takes is two or three people that use it regularly and then two or three others that either don't see that as being an unusual or unpleasant thing to hear or else they just want to blend in or else it's completely unconscious and there's no thought one way or the other or else you just pick up on it. I think some people inherently mimic each other without even knowing that they are. Uh, I can actually attest to the fact that there have been times when I've been around people with strong and and delightful British accents, and I find myself muttering words under my breath <laughs> with my own rendition of a British accent, not because I'm making fun, but because it sounds cool and I'm giving it a try. So perhaps that's where this word came from. 
nonetheless, I loathe it in ill use, uh, misuse, and plentiful use. And I'm sure those of you that know me personally or have spent time in my studio space know this about me and are smiling now because you also know that the reason why I've encouraged you to speak to me without using it is so you're more consciously aware of what you're saying. I feel as though there is far too much being said nowadays without a single oh, caring or deep, profound thought behind it. And I feel as though that's how a lot of hurtful things are said, a lot of dismissive, a lot of racist, a lot of uh, prejudiced, a lot of just ill thought out things. If one is taking a bit more time and a bit more energy in how one expresses oneself, usually it's done in a more articulate and clear manner. And I do know that there have been many situations in which students have come back as adults and said to me how much it drove them crazy, but not in a, in a maddening, I hate the world way, but in a, oh, we're around Sarah, we can't use like way, sort of, I would say almost good naturedly. And I'm, I'm, I don't have someone here to play off of right now. So <laughs> I'm kind of in a vacuum, I could make up whatever I wanted. But I, I do know that that's what's been expressed to me. And I do know that there have been times where uh, another thing that has been expressed to me that makes me feel wonderful inside is gratitude from a student who has either done a really important job interview, university scholarship interview, um, dean's list interview. I'm thinking of all the ones I've heard of before uh, or television movie interview, not television movie interview. That is not what I meant to say. Television interview for the news because they are that much in the limelight and they have expressed how grateful they are that they're aware of what they're saying so that they come across in their own opinion in a far more coherent, articulate and intelligent manner instead of filling in space with words. Okay, I'll drop that subject now. It's probably um, made somewhat clear and making you all shake your heads as though this crazy lady with her issues and penchant for the word like now, I'm going to really add to this mix by talking about social media and not to be remotely hypocritical or ironic, but let's talk about my feelings about social media because this has been asked of me several times since I have joined or gone on Facebook and created a Facebook page. All of this was done, let me think, I'm thinking it was the third week of April. It's It's been a little over a month that I have had Facebook for the first time in my life. And I want to talk about my impressions of it, because perhaps they'll help clarify your own relationship with it. I really, really disliked the whole idea of having any sort of dependence or relationship with social media previous to this. I felt as though I just saw people get sucked into this kind of void of no human interaction, no real connection, no real communication, lots of one sentence, sort of one word kind of interactions. And then furthermore, and probably worse yet, seeing people as an image. So just a photograph, a photograph 
generally speaking, taking at the height of the day, of joy, of an exotic trip, of a moment of bliss, of a fantastic dinner, of a date, of a particularly, shall we say, screened, filtered, and perfectly quaffed moment in time, which, as we are all well aware, being human beings, we have billions of let we, let's just say less than perfectly quaffed moments in a day. And those are just as valuable and just as important. And they are part of the development that takes us to a place that we can have a perfect moment, whatever that might be to us. And here's another thought. Why are we photographing our perfect moments? Because if they're perfect, they're, they're there. They're in our hearts. It's a moment in time. We are there in the moment in that time, fully capturing it. And the more we step outside it to present it to others, then we're not really in it. And then again, if we're constantly worried about presenting it to others, then are we actually thinking about how we feel about the things we're experiencing? Why are we concerned about what everyone else feels about it? So these were a lot of the things that went through my mind, plus the whole thought of having I guess, constant sort of, I'm not going to sound paranoid, but surveillance or contact with people on that superficial level just made me very uncomfortable. So I avoided it up until, what, five weeks ago. And I want to talk about the reason why I am now on Facebook and have a Facebook page is because of what I'm doing at this exact moment in time. I had this idea of doing a podcast that was presented to me because of probably you've heard or may have heard in episode one or two of many students and their their questions, their desires, and their suggestions. So I followed through. And in doing so, I became aware as I was emailing each individual person that I thought might be interested of how proud I was that, you know, I was probably getting a hold of about 48 people and feeling positive that, you know, they would pass on the message. And this this could potentially, you know, balloon to maybe 60 people or who knows, wildest dreams, maybe 100. And I spoke to a, a young man friend of mine who happens to be a former student who is beyond savvy in the world of social media, how to execute it, how to utilize it and how to deal with it and he he was amazingly supportive he also made me laugh in saying you know you don't need to be scared of it you need to know how to use it and if you actually want people generally speaking many many people to hear or have the opportunity to hear your podcast you actually have to get a hold of more than 60 or which you know, made me feel sad for a split second because I thought 60 was a lot. Because let's face it, if you were going to have a party with your closest friends, I don't mean a wedding, I don't mean a celebration that's supposed to happen once in your life, but a party in which you get to interact with your closest friends, 60 would be a lot of people. For me, it's an overwhelming amount of people because I really like one-on-one, close contact, deep interactions. So, Thinking past that was a bit of a mind bender. Once I did, and I instigated this Facebook relationship, (laughs) I have to say that I had a couple of really 
wonderful things come about. And one of them was to be contacted by some childhood friends that I had basically lost communication with due to moving around a lot, due to probably just a loss of contact because we were no longer being kept in contact through our parents, sometimes just complete changes of life. And all of the the recontact moments with these friends were wonderful and they warmed my heart. There have also been some wonderful interchanges with fellow dancers provinces away, uh, students that have long grown up and gone off and done their own thing and started their own studios and invited me to be a part of some sort of guest arrangement in the future. Things that I generally and genuinely would have had no access to before. So in that respect, I really am enjoying my relationship with Facebook. I feel as though the, the aspect that perhaps that it's truly being marketed to in the news feed where you scroll down and you see one amazing photo after another of beautiful people on wedding days or with beautiful children out laughing in the sun in exotic locales or incredible meals or people on clifftops looking romantically into each other's eyes. I am not looking at that in a snide and um, ugly manner. But I'm looking at that and I'm thinking to myself, I just can't get involved in that world. That world reminds me, I guess, a little bit of TV, which is another medium that I am abhorrent of and do not watch because of the commercials and because of the plasticity of much of what it represents. I understand there are, you don't, uh, my, what was my dad's old saying? Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. In other words, don't assume that everything is bad. Don't assume that you cannot get value with something that might have inherently uh, cheap characteristics. But I think that overall, what I have to say is, I am not fond of just seeing one representation of a person. I'm not fond of, of feeling as though I'm supposed to feel something from a picture that someone is showing me of a moment that I wasn't in. I feel like I'm going to feel something no matter what, because I have very high emotional personality. And if I have a, an affiliation or a connection to that person, I most likely am going to feel whatever that image brings up in me. More often than not, it's the children that I see in their arms or the joy I see on their faces I, I can't say, or sometimes, sorry, this is another thing that has crossed my path. When people are mourning the loss of a loved one or a pet, I definitely, it grabs my heart because, you know, people just want to share their sorrow and perhaps have some shared solace and some support. And in some cases, just talk about the person or dear a furry person that has left their lives. I have a lot of empathy for that. I won't get involved in the other aspect of sharing my personal life in, you know, what my daughter is doing, looking like, um, what my husband is doing, looking like, what I'm doing, looking like, just because I'm just frankly not comfortable with that. I, 
I'm not trying to malign it or make it wrong for anyone else to do that. That's just a part of the whole social media world that I don't want to be a part of. I will continue to uh, share things that I feel are pertinent to the podcast idea, share things that I feel are pertinent to me as a teacher, a mentor, guide, human being. And, and I will probably throw in the odd mother moment as well, minus the photos. <laughs> but I was asked, you know, how, how much I enjoyed not being a part of it in the past. And I think I've expressed that clearly so far. I think it's clear also what I am enjoying of about it as in regards to questions that I get about how to remove the, the I'm going to put this in air quotes again, quote, the addiction to it or the desire to constantly check it all the time. I feel like that's just a decision you need to make with yourself. I think that if all of us spent a little more time feeling our own lives and the fullness that's in them and the day-to-day moments that make us smile and the day-to-day moments of inspiration that we may garner from something that is seemingly quite simple and small, I think we would search less outside ourselves for something that is better than what we are already experiencing or something that is superior. And I know that there would be less of a feeling of missing out on what is perceived as being better or more superior. And I also know that people would share just purely from the heart and less from more the mind. And I, oh boy, that sounds weird. That doesn't really sound like what I want to say at all. What I mean by that is, is if we're, if we're constantly looking to share with nameless hundreds or thousands of people, then we are either philosophizing and generalizing and ex- just expressing our own personal experiences, much like I feel like I am, and we are appreciating that people will take it or leave it and that people may not resonate with much of what you're saying or all of what you're saying or only some of what you're saying and also people have the free will to turn on a podcast or not i think that people become um i i've heard people voice that they feel like they don't have a free will when it comes to facebook or social media or instagram or twitter or or Snapchat, or any of the other mediums that now exist. And I I really find that something I need to address and say that is entirely untrue because there's something in you that wants to check in. Perhaps you are checking in just to see where you are in the, maybe the communication line or the experience line of what you're seeing or maybe you're checking in because you aren't feeling very good about yourself and you want to know if anyone else is in a like-minded state that you could possibly commiserate with or maybe you're checking in because you want to see someone that's in a worse state than you because you're hoping that it will buoy your own spirits or maybe you're just checking in because that's what you do 
And I can't and I won't say that any of that is wrong. But if you're feeling uh, an unrest with that way of life, if you're feeling unhappy with that sense of needing to do that, then what I suggest doing is taking a moment and reflecting. Just reflect on your day. Sometimes people have said, well, what what sort of uh, hobbies can I take up to help with inner self-improvement or my inner world? And to be totally honest, thinking is a great one. And I'm not being sarcastic in any way, shape, or form. Sometimes I will catch myself in a still moment, which isn't very often, but when it is a still moment, I catch myself often looking out the windows. I am lucky to be surrounded by quite a great a great deal of greenery and a great deal of trees and very mature trees that move beautifully in the wind and the breeze. Wind is my favorite element. And I think that every time I look out and see that, it makes me reflect upon how nature is such a beautiful demonstrator of the malleability and adaptability of all that exists within it that is natural and how when nature becomes overpoweringly angry or strong, things that are too burdened or weak or diseased or perhaps um, uh, manipulated by, interfered with by man, they suffer. You know, the trees will fall over or be struck by lightning. And there is no, in my personal opinion, there's no rhyme nor reason for that. It's arbitrary. It's one of those things that for me, philosophically, I can reflect upon and just think, wow, you know, just when you think your world is is caving in on you or it just feels as though it is so busy and full, you look outwards and you realize that I am but a small part of a great big picture or system or oh, there's so many ways of looking at it, isn't it? Our universe. And I find that that inner reflection goes a great long way for me in finding calm and peace and places to places to actually share from. Because I've, I've thought for a moment about where I am at in that moment in time in that day, and that has allowed me a certain freedom as the day transpires. I think that um, I also don't spend a lot of time worrying about what other people are thinking about me because then I'm not in my own world and I'm not living it to the fullest that I can. Of course, I do not want to hurt anyone. Of course, I would prefer not to offend anyone or leave anyone in any way disgruntled with an interaction with me and I go by through my days with that thought in mind but you know I can't control everyone's reactions to me I can just control my actions and sometimes I'm cranky and sometimes I probably come across a a little bit aloof or removed or maybe even snotty and I know certainly in some driving incidents I'm not coming across as a warm and fuzzy loving calm and quiet individual so in those moments in time I just have to recognize that all I can do is move forward and ameliorate the situation perhaps with 
a kinder or more neutral gesture or uh, words or sometimes just a smile. And of course, if I'm aware, I can apologize. And I think that that is essentially my take on inner, I mean, I think that hobbies of all sorts can offer us um, a calming solace and soothing sense of peace, knitting, reading, sewing, uh, walking, yoga. And I don't, you know, I, I'm loathe to mention yoga as a hobby because I know that for some people it's a much deeper connection than that, but I'm j- I'll just say it into this context. Some people paint, some people draw, some people garden, uh, some people bike ride, some people do a very physical, active thing to I well, I'm uh, sorry, I'm I'm reflecting right now that there are, have been occasions in my life in which when I'm being incredibly busy, physically active, or uh, athletic in some manner, I'm not necessarily trying to get into my inner world. I'm trying to release some trapped anger, frustrations, or darkness that's in my inner world. So I use it as more of a catharsis myself. I, I walk daily uh, for two reasons. One of them is to get out in nature because my job is usually indoors and most of the time I spend a lot of time in a climate controlled studio which does drive me buggy those of you that know me know I am anti-air conditioning so any fresh air uh, open windows blowing trees just nature even if it's a little bit busy even if it's got you know some dark clouds floating up in the sky I'm okay with it and I also do read a great deal. I also just, before bed, lay on my back uh, with my eyes closed in the darkness. And as my I'm letting my body slowly melt into the mattress, I just think. And if there's something that I want to reflect upon further, I just sort of usually have a gentle, peaceful uh, acceptance thought about it because I know it'll come back again tomorrow. But then I also make it clear to myself that it's time to go to sleep. So I know this started off somewhat humorously and perhaps obsessively with my penchant for not using the word like improperly uh, with all those surrounding me as well. And I hope that I haven't made anyone feel uncomfortable about their own relationships with social media. I'm only speaking from my, my own personal perspective when I was asked the question, it really was, well, how do you feel about not having had social media until five weeks ago? And how do you feel about, you know, how you would remove any addiction to it should you ever have one? And I think that that's my perspective. I think that I I can't really say much more towards it other than this has been like a totally awesome, like freeing, like experience. I can't even do it properly. My goodness. All right, everyone. (laughs) It's been wonderful sharing with you again. And I look forward to chatting again very soon. Take good care. Bye.